0: Hello and welcome to the Trauma and Healing Podcast, where I, Claude McGrath, explore the stories of people who are healers and those who have overcome trauma and found healing in their lives. Today I have a very special episode for you. I am honoured to have Shan Horn as my guest, and let me tell you, she has an amazing story to share. But before we do, I have to tell you something. There was so much to get through in Shan's story and Shan's life that we had to turn this episode into a two-parter. That's right, this is only the first half of our conversation. The second half will be released tomorrow, and trust me, you don't want to miss it. It's full of twists, turns, surprises, and revelations, and uh, most importantly, hope and inspiration. So make sure you subscribe to the Trauma and Healing podcast so you won't miss the second part of Shan's story. Now, let me introduce you to Shan Horn. Shan is an ex-publican, she's a podcaster, Pilates fanatic instructor, business consultant, and Ireland's champion of women in small business. She's also a survivor of domestic violence, miscarriage and gun violence, and has continued to push for purpose in her life and how she can help others. In this episode, we'll hear about Shan's journey of trauma and healing and how she coped with her challenges and how she is now helping others to do the same through business. Before we begin, I wanna put a trigger warning on this episode, as we will be discussing some really hard topics. They may be upsetting and triggering for some listeners, and if you need support, please reach out to somebody you trust or contact a helpline. I will include a few links which you can find in the show notes. Please do stop listening if you need to. Your self-care is what matters. Mind yourself today. And now, without further ado, let's dive into the podcast with Shan Hor. Enjoy. How are you doing? I- I'm good and thank you so much. Let's jump straight into it. So if you can give us an overview of your life, and I- and I do want to start at the beginning so if you want to tell me about your, your family but also I want you to tell me how you ended up
1: milk monitor at uh, two and a half years of age. So I I suppose I'm, I'm the second child and there's big gaps in my family so me and my old sister there's just two and a half years between us and basically we were like twins, I suppose. So I was very grown up from a very young age and my mum always tells the story. And actually I'm just back from France and we were having arguments about my timeline. And I was like, hang on a minute now, guys, you've just, I've just lost two years here. Like, because I rely on them. I don't remember an awful lot. I remember of your all- childhood. Yeah. I remember like yeah. all the important things. Whereas my sister, cause she was a couple of years older than me, she, she remembers everything and she kind of puts it together for me quite often. So my mum was actually the school secretary. My dad was working away when I was very, very small. And he had been an architect and then he'd he'd become bankrupt and then he'd gone on the lorry. So he was driving around Europe at the time. And my mum would go to school and I would be left at home and I would just kick up such a stink And get so upset that because the older siblings were going to school, wasn't it? Going to school. And my mum was the school secretary. So as far as I was concerned, they were both going having the crack. So I remember my mum saying that the headmistress said to her, I would have been around two, I suppose, and a half when the school holidays split up, and she said to my mum, Oh, just bring her in September. We won't tell anybody, no one will know. I was always I was always quite a big child and tall. No one will know. So just bring her, it'd be fine. So she did. And I used to arrive with her. And I used to go in and set up everybody's desk. So I'd lay out all, all the colouring stuff. I'd lay out the pens and the paper. And I would be in charge of the milk. So if people weren't behaved, they wouldn't be getting the milk. Because I'm, as we I always think of that that black and white picture of What we call the bossy girl, but actually that girl with strength. And I was always an organizer and always very confident, even at that age. And I do remember, and I think I said to you, my nana was blind. Yeah. And she would, it was all, my mum would say, she wouldn't trust any of us, Sean, to walk her down the stairs. She'd only let you walk her down the stairs. And yeah, and I just, I always felt like I was leading.
0: did you know that like like is that a later thing or did you know that as a kid going this is what I'm here to do or
1: I can't I think as a young kid because I so I was always quite a lot I was always a big kid I was I I was look let's be honest I was the fat girl at school do you know what I mean so some girls would be mean and and things but I always had loads of friends so I suppose when you're like five six seven you just it's it's a popularity thing isn't it you feel Confident because people like you, and you can make people entertain people, and direct people, and comfort people, and nurture people, and 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 kids do that from a very young age. I, I see my nieces now, and and one of them's bold, like, and the other one is a real nurturer. You can see their characteristics now. You know, it's not something that grows; it's in you. And so, I think as a as a younger child, I kind of thought of it as sort of. Being the fun one and, and and keeping people happy and entertained, etc. And Obviously, I grew up in a pub. So when I would leave school, I'd then go home and entertain everybody in the pub. Okay. And what age was this then? So this was like, after
0: your dad had done the Lawrence.
1: Yeah. So we moved basically at two and a half, I, I was sort of in school. And then when I was five, we moved to London. And I, initially, my mum took my sister and I stayed with my grandparents just till they got settled. Yeah. And we moved to a pub called the Millet Arms, I'll never forget. So the woman that ran it, they'd never let children in the pub. And so we weren't allowed to be seen. So my mum and dad were training. And so we lived in a room with my mum and dad. So there was one bed, a sofa, and, a, and two bank beds. And my mum would come up on her break, and share her dinner with one of us. And then my dad would come up on his break and share the dinner with the other one. And we were there, I suppose we were there for about eight months while my parents were training. And I do remember this vividly. I remember because Mrs. M was her name, and I was really scared of her. She was like trunch bowl out of Matilda. Yeah, right. Yeah. However, beautiful, actually, <laughs> she was stunning, a really classy lady. But I remember one night I thought my sister was dying because she she'd been to the toilet and there was foam in the toilet, you know. So I I, I ventured down these stairs, and it was just like something out of a film because I was petrified, and I got caught by Mrs M and I was like, "You must get my mum, my sister's dying." And she she cleaned the toilet; it was bleach like. But I just remember this overwhelming thought that my sister was dying. But there's then- care and courage in a pro- in, oh, in a like. Yeah, yeah absolutely complete overdrive but then we moved to a really awful pub actually and it was funny we were talking about this recently on holiday and i think that kind of at that point so i would have been about 6 moving there and it was just a nasty pub and it was just full of very nasty people and we would see kids being left in cars outside and my pa- i could hear my parents being threatened at times and what i just felt meant- like for you as a kid it wasn't nice i i was very scared in that pub yeah. and i think like i would have had a lot of nightmares in that pub but fortunately we weren't there too long uh, and then we moved to richmond upon thames i mean it doesn't <laughs> there's the, the change there was unbelievable and it was so funny i remember actually and i did the same later in life when i ran pubs i remember when we first moved in my dad was very suspicious of people and etc until he kind of settled and realised this was a beautiful place and we were going to have a really nice life. Do you remember that as well? Do you
0: remember having to take a minute to go, okay, is this just another place like the last place? Yeah, because
1: you just never know, obviously. Yeah. Having, you'd have to be really cautious, but we'd, we'd had a short stint in a, in a and Lock with a lovely family, but this was like their first pub. And we all got involved, you know, straight away. I would have been seven moving to the Marlborough on Richmond Hill, a stunning place to grow up. But we worked, we worked from the day that... So you in, worked in the pub as well? Yeah, always. We'd always be collecting glasses or cleaning plates or I loved cooking. So I was always watching the cooking. Saturdays and Sundays we'd be barbecuing. Yeah, it was a real family run business Yeah, um, and great fun. Like I have such fond memories of that pub. And my what a two- lesson to learn. Oh yeah, no, amazing! And people spoke to us. A lot of the people there weren't didn't have kids initially, so speak up people. You know, I've actually I've got a scar on my forehead from one of the regulars saying, "Can Sean? Can we borrow Sean to to serve drinks on Saturday?" I was probably about nine, <laughs> and, I japped, it. and I tripped and I tripped and cut my head open, and they obviously were mortified because <laughs> they had to return me to the house. But but we were very well looked after. I mean, I'm still. Very friendly with some of the people that were regulars in that pub. I can still walk in that pub, and someone will recognise me. And I left there when I was thirteen, and I could still walk in there today. And some would go, "You Max and Dave's daughter? God, you haven't checked. Tra- Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's so there's a the sense of community then. Yeah, super. My dad was really into community. My dad taught me everything about that. So my dad was very aware. He was he was a genius before his time, and he was. He just met the wrong people, but me and my sister would run Sunday school, because he was very aware that if the, all the kids loved us, then they would make all their parents come to us for lunch after church.
0: <laughs> that's like enterprising one hundred and one. Like that's what you're learning
1: as a young kid. Then listen, he we would be in the paper all the time. Okay, he's ever dressed up like monkeys or like he's hilarious. He was hilarious, like but he was a pr and marketing genius he like i i lots of the things i do now i often think he he'd love that he'd love that so it sounds like you've learned like i mean you've before
0: the age of 10 a wealth of knowledge on people business and uh, just your own sense of self in that as well
1: yeah i think so i mean i i so I learned as well that I wanted to be independent. So, like, I suppose I was about seven or eight when I got a job next door in the greengrocers because I wanted I wanted to work. I loved it, but mm. I didn't always want to work for my mum and dad. What did you love about it? Oh, I, do you know what? I, I love maths. I love maths. So the greengrocers was like, I still have, I just, I loved working in there. It was amazing. And this is why so I think that's- Back in knew- the time when there was no calculators and no anything you had no to do with yourself. You have to be like weighing, calculating, weigh, And that's that's kind of the same as like behind a bar. I mean, I, I watch people behind bars now going, oh, God. Because, you know, it's it's actually, I think people are natural at doing something like that. I don't think you can learn it. It's easier now because of you just tap that and tap this. But... Back in the day, it wasn't really something you could learn because you'd have to be very, very aware of people and acknowledge people because, and it was the same in the green No, you you, you would acknowledge the next person that you were about to serve so that their waiting time halved. Then you'd acknowledge the third one so that they knew that you were going to the second one so that their wait time was halved. Um, and, And yeah, I think we're amazing at understanding people You 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 could read people. That's exactly what you're doing. You read people, you read a room, you read. And
0: and it sounds like this was the schooling from quite young. Was that intentional or was
1: that just you were in the environment you had to? Yeah, I think it was definitely the environment. You know, like after a few scoops, people would be telling us their life stories. (laughs) I mean, my sister was like, oh, good God, what are we going to be listening to this evening? Do you know what I mean? But and then but there was also time to be kids. Do you know what I mean? Like I always say like at that time it was fantastic because my parents were employed they were they were employed publicans they were managers for for a big corporate and so we we had amazing summers we had holidays whereas and my two sisters my two younger sisters the first two were born in in Richmond but then my parents went to work for themselves and I think they missed out on a lot of the good stuff we had because when you work for yourself it's not as easy that's a 24-7 job done. Yeah. Yeah. So they had a very different life to us, my three three younger sisters, and they had a very different time. Okay. What do
0: they take, like when you tell your story like today, do they go, is it stark for them? Do they hear it, that going, you got so much out of that because of the opportunities?
1: Absolutely. But we all, you know, we, we all have the same mum and dad. We all have the same morals, the same upbringing, We have the same beliefs. You know, I never lived with my two younger sisters, really. Claire moved to Wales when I was three. I was 14, 15. And so I never lived with the two younger ones. And when the second youngest came to live with me in Ireland in her 20s, I remember ringing my mum going, what did you do with this one? Because she she doesn't know what she... She can't cook. She can't. And my mum was like, I'm so sorry. It's just... We definitely bred you to leave, and we definitely bred the youngest to stay. and, yeah.
0: and I get it. It's the same. Um, I was talking recently, uh, Gabor Mate, about siblings growing up in the same house, having the same parents, maybe, and and having completely different experiences. And it sounds like from from your youngest sibling to you, it's it's completely different.
1: Yeah, very different, but different countries as well. So yeah, yeah, but they had a but they had a great time too and they 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 had my parents always there for them so yeah we were very lucky all of us okay so then i'm gonna
0: i'm gonna jump ahead a little bit and i think what age was it when you ended up living on your own in in your parents parents, uh, i did my,
1: my my parents started to move to wales as i was doing my o levels or GCSEs. so i would have been 16 ish yeah so they'd started to move just before my exams and I lived in the house then sort of by myself. They'd, they'd be back and forth yeah. throughout my exams and then I stayed up there. I How did, did you try find to that? Move. Yeah, I did try to move to Wales. I didn't like it and I want all my friends were in London. So I was, I was straight back there. And what actually happened was I made the decision to go to college to do my A-levels. And I was doing creative. I was a big dancer back in the day. So I was doing dance and theater studies and photography and all those creatives. But I I couldn't manage college because no one told me what, no one was strict with me. Okay. And so I just didn't, I was like, this is silly. So I, I had to work anyway, obviously, to get money. And I ended up working more than I was at college. So then I was like, I'll have to leave college. And I thought, maybe I need to go to Wales. And I went down and actually I was working in jigsaw women's clothes. They they were quite a new store at the time. And I obviously I was 16. So I left and then they rang me and said, look, we need an assistant manager and we think you'd be perfect. So I was like, well, at this age, I can't turn that down.
0: And so that age was 16 or 17, was it?
1: Yeah. Yeah. That is like
0: quite a, that, that says a lot about a person to have that offer. That somebody would go, yes, I know who that is for the job. Well, then they gave me a shop at 17.
1: Okay. What was that? Talk to us about that. So they didn't, I don't think they, well, they definitely didn't know my age because I never acted my age. So, yeah, I, I was assistant manager in Richmond for nearly a year, I'd say, and then they offered me Hampstead, which was on North London. How did that feel when that offer came through? Was that, yes, I've been waiting for this, or was that, oh, my God, what the hell is happening? I was just like, great, bit more money. <laughs> I'll go. <laughs> Not thinking it through at all, to be honest. And, and I think, I mean, I lived in Surbiton at the time, so I'd have to get two trains and a, two, a train and two tubes to work which used to take two hours to get to work and two hours to get home. I was 17. I'd only ever worked for one real manager Jigsaw, and, and bless his heart, he was lovely outside work, but he was a rubbish manager. So I actually only knew how to work as a rubbish manager because I, I also grew up in that age where when your boss told you to do something, you didn't question it, you just did it. Mm. And so I thought people would just do that. i just ask them and they would just do it. And so you learn by
0: example in that, in that sense. Absolutely. What was the example that was set for you there?
1: Just not a good one, to be honest. But at the same time, I suppose I was 17, so I thought the only way to get people to be motivated and have the crack was to actually just to have fun with them. But fun wasn't always professional. Yeah. But at 17, is it going to be? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, you don't know the boundaries at that stage. You know? No, but if I yeah. was fortunate again there, though, that everybody at head office loved me. And I think everybody at head office realized how young I was. Do you know what I mean? So they were like, this was crazy. Because I remember we'd go out for drinks after work and I'd be like, oh, I'll get ID'd. And they're like, what are you talking about? And I'd be like, because, you know, I've been running around the pubs for, for years. And I'm like, well, I am 17. And they were like, oh, my God. So... And as a manager, who, what age are you managing here? Oh, I was managing people up to their 30s. I mean,
0: that, did... that sense of self there to go into a room and go, I can do this. I can definitely give it a go. I think that's I was... phenomenal
1: to have at that age. When it came to selling and it came to stock takes and it came to the money, I was amazing. Yeah, you knew it. Oh, I could sell ice to Eskimos. I'm, I'm a great salesperson. I know what people's needs are. I mean, one thing I've never done is lie to someone when I've sold to them. So I would get in trouble sometimes. Someone would come in and say, "Sean, I'm looking for this. And I'd go, do you know what? We haven't got it. But I saw it in Hobbs yesterday. So go to Hobbs, go and buy it. Yeah. And my boss would say, I heard you say that. And I say, yes, because she was looking for something specific and we didn't have it. And I know it's in there. And you'd be like, but you lost us a sale. And I said, no, I didn't. I will gain us so much sales from that. Yeah. And, and it's the truth. And I only, I've sold things all my life without realizing that I was a good salesperson. I didn't realize I was a good salesperson until my <laughs> 40s because someone told me.
0: Yeah. There's a I sense had, of honor in that.
1: Yeah. So, so I was always top salesperson. Didn't matter where I worked, always top salesperson because I always sent them away when I needed to. And yeah. I think that's key.
0: Yeah. The, the, the thing again, that strikes me is that I talk to teenagers, young adults, and especially women, and they struggle with that self-confidence. They struggle that even though I remember being told, and, and I'm sure this is something that will resonate with you, but I remember being told, uh, I was thinking of going for a job and I didn't have maybe one or two things. and I was saying this, I don't know, you know, I don't have that in there. Like, what are you doing? their partner had uh, applied for a job and like half of it they didn't know yeah. but they said but they will learn it and they'll make it up and they'll say whatever they need to say in the interview because that's how you should be going around life i was like what excuse me you don't have to have everything but that was what resonated in me even with young people today even though they know they're capable they don't have the confidence even to say it that they're capable and i think that's maybe mm-hmm. if a woman being knocked down so many times, you didn't seem to have that, and I and I'm wondering what shaped that for you. Well,
1: possibly it was before email. Yeah, <laughs> because I'll be honest with you, like, but I will still do that. I will still look at an application, and go, oh God, no, that's not for me. Because it's just that's normal. That's normal for actually anybody. It's not normal for men because they have different brains, but it is normal to go. Am I good enough? It is normal to have imposter syndrome. It is normal, where the where the key is is to understand that it is imposter syndrome, and tell it to go away, and that's the problem. People don't catch it in time. However, I am not great with the written word, and I lack confidence in it hugely. If I want to borrow money from a bank, I have never filled out a form. I always ask to see the manager because I can close the deal. Okay. However, when I fill out an application, I really struggle. I really struggle. And I still struggle to this day. So, but I'll always ask for feedback. And I think that's really important. If I don't get something that I want, then I, I will always go back and say, look, I don't want to fail next time. Can you give me the feedback? Where did I go wrong? So it's an
0: opportunity for you
1: always an opportunity you're always going to be learning like I'm 52 I'm still learning no one knows everything and and the landscape changes dramatically all the time we know that we we certainly know it now over the last few years so you'll always learn from it so yeah I was definitely confident but I think that confidence came from you know I had good fr- I had a lot of friends we all looked out for each other I mean, when I was when I was a rubbish manager at 17, when I was going to get the sack, I got so many calls before the woman could get to me. Remember, it took two hours. So head office were ringing me going, "Shan, write your, write your resignation now. Go and post it in a postbox. She can't sack you if you've resigned. And that was so lovely because that could have affected my next job. And it didn't. And a few years later, I bumped into the lovely lady that sacked me and went, good God, like, and she, we were, had great crack about it because I was a child. Yeah. You know? Yeah.
0: It's it's quite, at that age, 17, it's quite, it's quite a, a life already lived. What, I suppose, that's, there's a lot of living in that. There's a lot of learning in that. What happens later in life? Where...
1: So I go, I, I I leave, obviously, Jigsaw, I go and I'm turning 18 and I get a license to run a pub at 18. Well, actually, prior to that, I've I've walked in and become a chef in my head because I used to help my mum do the cooking. Crap at that as well, by the way. I actually got the sack from that on my 18th birthday after cooking Moore's marinare that had shells and God knows what in it. However, I'm an amazing chef now. So again, we learn, we learn. But but yeah, my local pub that I used to drink in all the time, they were like, "Come and work with us." And I, I remember like filling in the application. He was like, "Sean, you could have you could have got us shut down for like two years because I just I was just eighteen, yeah. um, and I'd been drinking in there for for some time." I mean, God, that sounds like I was some sort of drinker. But I mean, like after work or whatever, <laughs> I wasn't on on the juice. But so yeah, I, I went. I became. I got licensee, I Is that normal?
0: Um, sorry, it just, I, I know nothing about the world, but is that at 18 years of age to be a licensee?
1: No. That's quite a lot
0: of responsibility.
1: Yes, but I was with my, pu- so I'd met my boyfriend in the pub. He was 23, I was 18. However, it was the eighties. I dressed like Pat Butcher. <laughs> so I did look oh up at 30. <laughs> and also, I, love it. I was a size 20. Like, and there wasn't clothes those days for a size 20. You do did end up dressing a little bit older. Do you know what I mean? I probably dress younger now than I did then. But yeah, it was the 80s. Big earrings were in. We were all over it. And so we joined, me and David got together, and we so when in the UK you you your managers, you don't own the pubs unless you're leased, but they're found food between. Most of the pubs are owned by the breweries. So before you get your first pub, you do what they call the re- relief circuit. And so you'll go and do people's holidays for two weeks here, two weeks there, two weeks there. And uh, so we, we traveled all around the country for a good few months, did some beautiful pubs. I really learned to cook during that time because a lot of the manager, a lot of the pubs were big food houses, and we did really, really well. And then our first pub, I suppose... Oh, well, we actually, i told you this story. So it was my birthday and I said, I don't want to work tonight. And we were in a place called Lewisham. And at the time, Lewisham was quite rough. Rough to the point of my other half, he had gone to the next pub, which was in Elephant and Castle. And I said to him, I'm going to ring you when I'm locking up because I'm, I'm scared again. I have all these fears. So I rang him from the downstairs phone. This is the old style phone. I said, okay, hold on, put the the receiver down, ran upstairs, locked up and then grabbed the phone upstairs. So he knew that I was alive. I just wanted to, I was always very conscious of someone knowing that I was. That's a lot of stress. Well, I used to do that when my parents, when I first, at 16, like when I first was living by myself, I would always be the first one to leave the pub. And people would say, why are you leaving? Because you could be out till whatever time you like. And, and I go, if I don't go home, now, I'll be going home in the rush, and if I don't get home, no one's going to know anyway. Like, it could be days before. So I was always conscious. I just wanted to be home. So that's always a, a thing with me, I suppose. How does stress...
0: So that that's one thing from your life story so far, stress hasn't really entered into it. It's kind of like, okay, I'll draw myself in, I'll do whatever I have to do, but... Stress
1: is obviously a part of that. So, how do you deal with that? So you I it's the same feeling as excitement. Hmm. So that's what it is. So it's just a switch in your brain. It's like that's exciting. Just nervous energy. Yeah. I'm. I'm. I'm ridiculous. I scream and and jump for the smallest and minus of things. I'm scared of lots of things in my life. Yeah. However, I'm. There's a lot. The things that I'm not scared of, are outweigh them. So there's no
0: negative loop that goes in your head, you know. So, so one of the things that I would often tell people is that the body will give you signals, the brain will interpret it and the brain will go, I have a pain in my arm. Oh God, I'm having a heart attack, you know. Yes. The stress uh, the anxiety that comes into my chest is going, oh my God, something terrible is about to happen. And it goes down this track. It tells the story of the bad thing that's going to happen. You strike me as somebody
1: who's able to switch. Yeah, I think it's being prepared, though. Like, if you know that something stresses you out, I mean, look, I'm at that age now. If something stresses me out, I just don't do it. But that takes time to learn what, what those stresses are. You know, I will always try. I mean, I'm so fearful of heights. I don't know where it comes from, but I'll always try. So I could get half the way up a mountain and then I'll lose the feeling in my legs and start crying, but I'll give oh, wow. it a go. And what does it feel like? So just, sorry, I, I, we will yeah. go back to the
0: poll, but like, what does that feel like for you up until that point? What are you, is it ignoring it? Is it pushing it down until I can't ignore it anymore?
1: Yeah, I, I think it's like, let's see if I can get over it. Like I, I did a a sort of, not a cliff, cliff walk during COVID, but but good for me. And I remember coming home and going, right, we need to go back there tomorrow. And then we need to go back there a couple of days later. I need to keep doing it so that it becomes habit. So I know. Yes, because otherwise I will think I just had a good day and I was just not scared that day.
0: Okay, so you know how you can rewrite the story, and that is by going back by building on.
1: Yeah, let's. Wow. If I if I can if I can manage it, then let's do it again. And yeah, we'll just keep doing it, and then it's habit. Then. And now my brain and my, my mind memory and my muscle memory and everything says, but you've done it.
0: You didn't know this obviously, because what you're talking about is neuroplasticity you're talking about, as you know, the habits, but also telling the body uh, it's sort of, sort of like a, a exposure therapy. Uh, and, and obviously that's the words you put on it today, but you obviously didn't know that at the time, but it was obviously an, an experience that you trusted and trusted in yourself to go, I'll keep going to my edge. And then I'll stop.
1: Yeah, go, just go as far as you feel comfortable. Don't put yourself in a position where it's going to hurt or upset you, but just, just see how far you can go. I, obviously, people can't see your face as you're saying that.
0: This seems the most normal thing to you. And I don't think you grasp how empowering it is to have that. And there's people listening going, that's what I want.
1: That's what I want to do. That's how do I do that? Wow, I didn't even know that. Saying that, yeah. I'm scared of shower curtains. <laughs> you what? <laughs> I'm scared of shower curtains. If a shower curtain touches me, I hyperventilate. <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't laugh. What, what would you explain that to me a little bit? I don't know. I don't know where it comes from. But however, I have met two people in my life that have the same fear. I just Is it can't... a touch thing? Oh, if it touches sensory. me, I, I could cry. Yeah. Wow. So there's if a it's... body reaction. Oh its i'm I'm reacting even thinking about it okay and and like if i mean i'm i I'm scared of a lot of things we 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 joke about it, so I'm scared of heights, I'm scared of the sea, I'm scared of the wind, elements basically, I'm scared of waxwork models, I'm scared of pigeons, potentially any bird in the world actually, but definitely <laughs> pigeons wax works Mars can't uh, come two, over the wax whatever yeah. Yeah, petrified of him. Yeah, you want a fun day out? Take me to a waxwork model age. because that's like a horror,
0: a horror a house of horrors for you now.
1: Huge. I mean, for a job that I had once, I had to go into the city jail, city in Cork City. And I saw, I don't like old places either, they scare me. So I saw this t- like archway, and then you had to go in. Well, I couldn't go through the archway, I was really scared. So I was like, The archway is really wide. So if I close my eyes, I reckon I could be through it in four breaths. So I closed my eyes, got to the other side, thought, brilliant. I'm in now. I'm going to go to this meeting and be very professional. And as I walked up to the door, all I could see was the waxwork. So I was just outside going, hello, hello. And she's like, come in. And I said, I'm so sorry, but I really can't. And the, the guy I had to meet had to come out and lead me with my eyes closed into his office. I just could not, I could not, petrified. And then sat there for the whole meeting, just working out how I was gonna get out of the place. Oh God, it sounds,
0: that sounds tough, yeah. Fair play to you, even there, you were vulnerable in that moment and you allowed yourself to show that vulnerability.
1: Yeah, you know- that's never bothered me. My mum my and dad always showed their vulnerability and I think that's a really good lesson. that's never bothered me my whole life to show that I think if you don't yeah I wouldn't keep things in
0: there's courage in that there's there's strength in that I suppose because a lot of people there's a sense of if I show this I'll be judged I'll be shunned I'll be whatever whatever the story again is being told but that for you is I can break through this
1: Absolutely. And to be honest, if one of my nieces said to me, Sean, I'm petrified of a shower curtain, I say, don't be so silly. I'll come with you and I'll let the shower curtain touch me just to get them through it because I'd hate to pass that on. Uh, so, yeah, there are times that you just have to breathe through it. Yeah. OK, I'm, I'm
0: going to jump back a little bit. And thanks. Thanks for sharing that. So I am going to jump back. So the first pub, you ha- you're a licensee and uh, you're doing the relief work with your ex-partner at the time. Yes. Okay.
1: So, yeah. So it was a really great time, actually. So we were that night that I left Lewisham, the next day I had to go to the Elephant Castle. It was my birthday. And I said, I don't, I'm not going to work. So I sat at the bar and I was dr- having a drink with one of the regulars. And he said to me, at the, I was buying him a drink. He was buying me a drink. I looked to the end of the bar. I saw my boyfriend being headbutted by someone. I could smell dope Jeez. in the place, and I was like, "What's going on here? Like, what on earth have we walked into?" And he said, "Shan, just keep your mouth shut. The last bloke has just left with a fractured skull." And that was the first time I thought, "Good God, where have they left us?" And the place was like Fort Knox. Everything was locked up. There was bars on the windows, and all I kept thinking was, "Okay, I feel safe. However, if someone sets light downstairs," We're not getting out. So we actually slept downstairs for our duration at that pub. We were only there for two weeks, but that first you night, were
0: genuinely afraid that somebody might set fire. One
1: hundred percent. Now I obviously as well, I was good with people. So the first night, this guy was buying me a drink. I was buying him a drink, and we were chatting about. It. And the regulars, they were fair. It was a very racist so area. It wasn't a nice area. And they kept saying, So on Sunday, Sean, you know, we have this on the bar and this free food, this. And I was like, Yeah, I'll do all that. No problem. And at the end of the night, this guy goes, Oh, do you know what, Sean? You should come back to house party with us and leave your boyfriend there. And I went, Oh, God, you're fine, love. And he went, No, nobody says no to me. And I was like, Okay, how do I deal with this? So I tried to laugh it off. And luckily, I'd made friends with so many of them. They went, Hold on now. Don't you be rude to Sean. Sean's going to give us free food on Sunday and Sean's going to do this. And they kind of saved me. And I remember at the end of the night going, God. And this guy had left a bag behind the bar. And when we opened it, there was a machete in the bag. And I was like, so we decided to sleep downstairs. So we were there for two weeks. What goes Um, through your mind in that moment? Thank God the bag was behind the bar.
0: (laughs) Not in his hand. Does it go through your mind? Sorry, in my mind, I've just gone... If if that had not gone the way he wanted it to go and luckily the people who were around me, I'm going, would he have used that on me? Could I have died tonight?
1: I wouldn't have thought about that after, no, because it didn't happen.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Or Just... we, I would have thought, oh, thank God that wasn't in his hand. But I wouldn't have thought, what if that was in his hand? Because that that period of time, it's left me.
0: Mm.
1: Okay. So but however it does make you think okay how do we stop anything bad happening for the next two weeks and and it was a really it was a horrific place but horrific in the sense of the people there didn't were sad I mean they'd come in they'd get really really drunk and I remember one night this one guy he only had one year and his face was like a patchwork quilt and he was like Sean can I speak to you behind this pillar you know and I was like oh good god and he was just crying and he was like, I hate living here. I hate this. I hate the meanness. I hate the fights. I hate. And you just like these people were living in, a, in an awful place. They didn't want to be there. My, my boyfriend at the time got a good slap a few times, which later on was quite entertaining. <laughs> but why, why was that? Why was it entertaining? Well, because he liked to slap a bit as our relationship went on and, and not other men, mostly myself. Um, yeah. so when I think back, I'm like, he probably deserved it. Bless him. Did but you they, know they, it was an abusive relationship at the time? No, I never saw that coming to be honest. And it wasn't until we moved to, so we did the relief. We did a couple of awful pubs, did some lovely pubs. And then we applied for our first pub, which was in Bristol. And Bristol at the time, again, wasn't a great city. It's now stunning. It's beautiful. And we had a busy, busy pub, shopping centre. I was, I was the cook, made everything from scratch, my own pastry. I mean, a phenomenal pub. We would turn over thousands and thousands of pounds in food. We were serving about five or 600 people a day in a few hours. And It was really, really busy, but it was a a weekday pub. So at the weekends, it would be quiet. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of opposite, not a great area. And it would kick off sometimes. Like I bought a Doberman in that pub just because we needed just to feel like you were protected. They weren't as bad as any of the places we'd been before. But one night, I remember a load of boys trying to pull my partner out of the pub to beat him up. Because if you hit somebody inside their pub then it's different if he'd walked outside the pub he there's no rights there so I was like I remember standing in the doorway saying like if you step out the pub uh, you'll be answered to me and I'd say and they were like these group of lads they're like well then we'll we'll, we're going to get you and I'm like well if you're going to get me just quickly get it done like if you want to give me a slap give me a slap and then then sense hits half of them and they go, Don't be so stupid. You're not gonna we've nothing against Sean. It's him we don't like. And I'm like, okay, then just go home then because he's not coming out because I won't allow him to. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so it was a, a bit of a funny pub. And but I I started noticing difference in him. We didn't get on as well. He was it all started with verbal abuse, fat cow and and all those sort of things and embarrassing me. When I'm serving people behind the bar, and then it was things like I'd say, well, "Can I go out with the girls on Saturday?" Night? Well, of course you can. Like, no one's going to be interested in you anyway. Look at the state of you, sort of thing. He's trying to break your confidence, one hundred percent break me down because I and and this was completely about popularity. I got on with everybody, and he didn't. And literally, that's it. So his um, ego, gosh, absolutely, there. all ego. So, so yeah. So it just started with. A, a couple of slaps here and there. And then he'd feel really, really sad about it. And I always used to make him buy me a pair of hob shoes. And that used to compensate me for it. And then I just found that. So then I, obviously I've confided in friends a little bit, but not a lot. Because a lot of my friends drank in the pub. And it was at that time, it was very private for me. Anyway, one night I went clubbing with one of the girls. He came down to the club. On the way back from the club, there was a ram raid. And however, he had... So what, sorry, what's a ram raid? For a day ram raid is when <laughs> drive a car into a shop and nick all the stuff from the shop. However, the ram raid probably saved me because at the time he was kicking me down the street. Oh, wow. And this ram raid went off. So he jumped, we went in. The following day, and this is the weirdest story... The following day, the police came in because we were witnesses of this ram raid. And there was a policeman there who said to me, I know you. And I said, do you? And he said, I know your dad. He said, I used to be a policeman in Richmond. And I went, God, how funny is that? So we were chatting away and everything. And then at the end, he said, oh, you can go now to my boyfriend. And he said, can I have a word? And I said, yeah. And he goes, we have the cameras from that street. So do you want to press charges against him? They'd seen it. He'd seen everything. And I said, oh, God. I what was really- that moment like? Oh, you just feel like an idiot. That's the first feeling. I feel like an idiot. Why? Wow. Because, sorry. Take your time. I fix everything for people. But I couldn't fix that. And so I made the decision then. I just needed to get back to London. He had burnt my filofax, so I lost all my dresses, and so then you're isolated. So I and was completely isolated. My parents lived on the other side of the bridge, and we could never go there. I bought the dog to protect me from him as much as anything else, and my dog was amazing, unbelievable Doberman. If he went anywhere near me, that dog just would not let him near me. So he was the best thing ever, and so. Weirdly enough, so this happened with the policeman. He burnt my file of facts. I felt completely isolated. I was checking for pubs all the time. Where could we, you know, where, how could I get back safely? And also he knew everything about the beer side and I was the cook. So I was like, I need to, I need to start watching him and I need to learn this business as well as him. So funny enough, about a week after all this happened, The phone rang and he answered the phone in the office. And luckily I was in the office and he goes, oh, it's for you. And it was my best friend from Jigsaw. We used to live together. We'd lost contact. I didn't know. She didn't know where I was. I didn't know her number. And she'd rang the wrong number on a phone. And my sister had answered. No way. And... She said, it's, Sean. it's so weird. I rang the wrong number and your sister answered this phone. And I said, is that Kim Horn? And she, my sister was like, yeah, yeah. And she goes, it, it, it's Sean's mate. And she was like, oh, my God, let me give you her number. So, and I never forget because the first thing she said was, oh, my God, I can't believe I've got hold of you. Do you like to take that? <laughs> and uh, so, if I, so I had someone then. And I of that moment too. It was so weird. It all came together. So I I remember ringing her and telling her everything that was going on. I found a pub in Wimbledon, and she had just moved to Wimbledon. And she said, "Look, we'll get this sorted. You come back to Wimbledon with him. Learn everything you need to learn, and then we'll 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 get rid." And was the abuse
0: continuing?
1: Yeah and probably got a little bit worse in Wimbledon because again all my friends were there friends were coming in people that knew me so what was triggering
0: him your popularity you being you essentially yeah there's nothing i could do about it did you know that at the time or did yeah, you Yeah I, think-
1: I remember one night in the garden Wimbledon was on and we we we'd serve hundreds of barbecues and i'd be going up and down with my barbecue everywhere and I said to him one night, like, why don't you just leave? It's obvious that you don't love me. And he said, I don't love you, but are you, I like you, you're nice, like. And I remember I... just going, laughing inside, going, This is just madness. What does that mean? Yeah. So basically, I became I really had great relationships in that pub. And I had a lovely manager, and we all went on a boat trip one night. And I said to my manager, I have, to, you have to find a way to separate us. You have to find a way because you have to remember we're employed as a couple. So if okay. I leave him, I lose my job. I lose my house because we lived in, I lose everything. And I was like, I'm determined to him, for him not to let me lose everything. He already makes me feel like shit. Excuse me. Sorry, but I'll no, go for it. But I'm determined for him not to have that power. And anyway, food, drink, said this to my boss. The following day, we get a call up to head office. Actually, this is a great story. I get a call up to head office, and my boss says, "You know, were you being serious?" And I said, "Yes." And he said, "Well, then we have to split you up. So, Sean, we have this pub for you in Teddington. Lee, you'll stay in Wimbledon." And the only thing he ever did for me, he said, "There's no way I am staying in that pub. That is Sean's pub. If I stay there, I will be completely ostracized." No, it was a real ale house, and it was a Belgium ale house. <laughs> so I was really trying to, like, get good at this. And uh, my boss said, do you think you'll cope? And I said, I'll do my best. I'll do my best. I said, I need That's to
0: spirit this. again.
1: Yeah. And I wasn't going to let him have it. Yeah. So, uh, now we were still in the same region. We still had the same boss. He was, and then he was like, I want, then he got very upset about it. Th- I gave him everything. He took everything. He took the car. He took the furniture. He took everything on the premise of, I would never have bought that sofa had you not told me to buy that sofa. And I'm like, well, just take it then. I don't care. Just so I lived in with no furniture for like months because I didn't care he'd gone. And- Did he care that you didn't care? Oh, it killed him. Yeah. Yeah. And he'd go to manage, we'd go to management meetings and the things he'd say about me were just horrific. And That's him needing to prop up his ego
0: that you cannot, you know, uh, you being as confident and as sure and as capable, yeah, uh, his his own ego couldn't take that. And the fact Absolutely. that you weren't broken when he left would have infuriated him, I imagine.
1: But, but he would tell people that he left because I just disgusted him and all this. And then six months later, I think... He, uh, uh, there was a situation he tried to pull me and I called a taxi and said that your taxi's outside. Now don't tell anybody you never fancy me, get out. And that's when I thought I'm a winner. Mm. You uh, had a moment and that was, it. you actually said absolutely. that to me. And even the day that he left the pub, like the the, 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 the customers and everything threw such a massive party for me. And they all kind of at, at different times, different people would whisper in my ear and say, you know, we knew what was going on, but we didn't know what to do. And, Sam said that, you know, you would tell us if you needed us and just know that we're here for you. What was that like to hear, that they knew what was going on? And Different times, isn't it, you know? I don't know. I I never really think about it because, you know, I, I got angry about it for such a long time. You know, I used to say, like, three or four years after we'd I was still saying, God, if I saw him, like, I'd punch him. Like, I was so angry with him for making me feel that way. And then, then it turns to pity, you know. You're like, isn't it sad that he had to take that much effort to, to, to dull me, to try and make me so something. To compassion. I, I just, said- I just thought, they're sad, really. Yeah. But also, I, I certainly knew it would never happen to me again. Why do you say that? Because, yeah, no, I I just would not let that happen again. It's it's not a nice feeling. What did you learn about yourself from that? I suppose don't always judge a book by its cover for me, really, was the big thing. I always used to say, God, no one would ever believe that happened to me because I'm such a strong person. But actually the strongest of us are probably the weakest of us. Do you know what I mean? And I think that's what I learned. And I think that that I probably, look, I'll never say I should have left earlier. There was reasons why I didn't. I I played a game. I got hurt along the way, but I got what I wanted at the end of it. It was just a horrible game to play. And it's the sign of the times again. You
0: mentioned it earlier. Yeah. You you didn't, as as independent, as strong, as capable as
1: you were, you didn't have that independence.
0: No. As a woman on
1: your own. Yeah. And I didn't have, I I felt like I had my, my, my friends, but you know, I didn't have family that would have probably recognized it earlier. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And culturally as well, there's that, why didn't you do this? As in
0: the questions are always asked about the women, why didn't you leave Singer? Why did you allow him? Why did, you know, and and that's never placed the blame where the blame belongs. That's their behavior. It was never your fault.
1: No absolutely Well, like why didn't he just leave if he didn't like me why didn't he just leave yeah yeah it wasn't it wasn't that he was just he was he 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 either loved me or he hated me and and that was it so okay so i asked what you learned from that about
0: yourself and and you said don't judge a book by its cover but did you
1: trust your own instincts in i think i was a lot more conscious of the people I, Like, I looked for kindness better in people. You know, he was older than me and he was better at the job that I wanted to do. I looked up to him. But after everything that I'd been through, I realized really I needed to look up to myself. Because however strong he might have thought he was, I don't think if the foot was on the other shoe, he would have got that. What do you mean? If the shoe... What's the expression? I I don't... My shoe was on the other foot. Yeah. I don't think he would have got that. He's not... He wasn't smart enough to get that. If he was smart, he wouldn't have hit people.
0: It was a lacking. Yeah. It was his lacking. He was trying to... Yeah. uh, ...work through and in a really destructive, awful manner. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So if I was to ask you to jump a little bit and then there is your
1: partner now and... Yeah, different worlds. Like, so that, that I mean, that, I took over this one at 22. I, I actually left the pub business at 25 because I was very aware at 25, even having a drink at the end of the night. And then it would be seven o'clock and then it'd be five o'clock. And it was a, just a real drinking social. And I, I remember looking at my dad and looking at my sister and they were in the pub game as well. And I thought, I don't want this for myself. So I I moved into gyms. I mean, there's a change. Now via modelling for a little while, I did modelling and I ran a nightclub, had a gun pulled on me in the nightclub actually. Which you want to tell us about that? Well, that was just really interesting. Big family, rough family in the area. And uh, he would, this one guy came in one night and was very aggressive with someone behind the bar. And I just said to him, and I knew him well, come on now, don't be like that. And he just turned around and stuck a gun to my chest.
0: Wow. Well, this has been an incredible episode so far, um, and I can't believe where I'm leaving you off. Shan standing face to face with a gun being pointed to her chest. But wait, we do find out tomorrow uh, how she got out of this incredible predicament. But you will have to wait till tomorrow to find out what happens next. Trust me, you won't want to miss it how Shan resolves this situation. And also in the next episode, we'll learn more about Shan's journey her journey through seven miscarriages, her decision to travel to Spain for egg donation, how she copes in the aftermath of having to go for a medical abortion in the UK, how she finds hope after healing. Thank you for tuning in today. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please do leave us a review, share it with your friends. And don't forget to tune in tomorrow for the conclusion of Shan's Story.
1: Thank you.